Hi, friends. Logan here with the Better Events Podcast. And in this week's episode, we have our guest, Julia Solaris, who is joining us to talk about something that's pretty important, I feel like, for most event pros and those in the event industry, but about how we can avoid overcomplicating our events. And we break it down into a couple of different buckets, but he's got some really good nuggets for you if you are in the planning process for one of your events or maybe you came off an event and you were feeling overwhelmed and you're a little confused about where things went wrong. He's got some good frameworks and bits of advice that you can apply to your next event to make it as simple as possible and just help save all of us a few gray hairs in the event planning process. And before we jump into it, I do want to remind you, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please consider sharing this episode with another event pro in the community or share it on social media, or you can always buy Mary and I a coffee. This is something that we do for fun, and we have loved growing this community along with you, but every little review also helps us continue to grow and learn together. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow, and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started, and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another week of the Better Events Podcast. We are so happy to be with you this week and with our guest. And today we are talking about how to avoid overcomplicating your event with Julia Solaris. And so we have a great conversation ahead. So we're going to just kind of jump in and head right into it. And so I'm going to pass it over to Logan to introduce our guest today. Thank you, Mary. And yes, we're saving as much time as we can. So Julius Solaris is regarded as the most influential person in the event industry. He is the founder of Bold Push, a management consultancy agency for the event industry. He founded Event MB, exited to Skiff in 2019, as well as Show Themes, which he exited in 2018. And he has worked for high profile technology companies like Swapcard and Hopin and different tech events. He has been named one of the most influential individuals in the meetings industry by many magazines and media for the past 10 years. More recently, he has been a meeting industry influencer 2022 by Meetings and Conventions magazine. He has also conducted some of the most groundbreaking research of the event industry, over 3,000 events reviewed and 15,000 event professionals interviewed. Whew. Julius, we're excited to hear more about this. Uh, his analysis and reports have been downloaded by over 300,000 event professionals, 300,000 more read Event MB every month, and over 50,000 event professionals attended Julius's events. He has been a keynote for events in over 13 countries and over 200,000 attendees. Julius, is there anything you'd like to add to that lovely intro? Yeah, I know. I have to cut it down. It's too long. Uh, I don't want to alienate people uh, with like so many numbers and all of that. Oh, my God. Uh, but no, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, fan of uh, what you do and the podcast. So it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And we love the data in your bio. One of the things that we like to do with guests is just kind of give a little tidbit about why we asked our guests. And so for for you, um, obviously, we know that you've done a lot in the industry over the years, and it's been fun to kind of follow along. But we love to see how you bring that data and that research to events. And so that's been um, enjoyable. And we've learned a lot from it. And we know that a lot of our listeners have as well. And so um, we've been looking forward to having you on the podcast. And um, we saw a semi-recent post from you on LinkedIn. And that's kind of where the idea for this episode was born because we liked it and we wanted to talk more about it. And so thank you for diving into that um, with us today. 
Sounds great. And thanks for keeping up with me with my rants on LinkedIn. I know, um, you know, there's there's a lot of that. There's a lot of fights in the comments. So if you want some action, definitely head out there. Uh, it's always enjoyable. You definitely do get some action on LinkedIn. It's, it's kind of funny. Uh, but um, that's actually funny because Logan and I joke on the time all the time here. We like we don't get very controversial on the podcast. It's so oh, yeah. You know, you Until never know. Yeah. <laughs> this is our moment. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and like jump in a little bit, but we like to do this kind of pre-stuff, and especially with you. We wanted to kind of start by learning more about your journey, not just from what we heard in your bio. Um, but we'd love to learn about your relationship with events and your passion for them. And so it might be kind of an odd question to start off with, but we'd love to hear why you love events and what kind of keeps you going in the industry. Yeah, I started very, very early. I found this is like kind of a common path. A lot of people during college or like high school um, days, you know, getting involved with like, you know, sort of controversial type of events, I guess, at the time, you know, that had a lot to do with fun and less with business, but kind of stuck with me. I love that, that feeling of being with people and being around people. And then it kind of evolved in a sense when, uh, you know, after my first gig, which was in, you know, pharma as a marketing manager um, for, for a large conference, um, I kind of started to get absorbed by, the rise of social media and the application of social media in events. Uh, we're talking 2004, 2005. So I'm a very old person. And I know it's difficult to say um, from my looks and feels, but like it's definitely old now. And so 2006 and 2005 was, you know, the time where all the social networks were coming along. I was doing my MBA in Australia, and I was like, okay, this is fascinating. Um, I want to explore more of this. And blogs were like the cool thing. Um, I guess it's like the equivalent of being a TikToker today. I was a, a blogger, um, you know, back then. And so, um, you know, you, they say you have to pick a topic where you can write 50 articles, 50 posts about. And for me, it was events back then. I had this interest about the intersection of events, technology, and social media. And so I started blogging about it, which has been a solo journey for the first probably four years <laughs> before not even my family, I'm Italian, could understand what I was writing. So I was like, yeah, a very lonely journey for a while. And uh, and then the rest is history. So that's that's kind of my atypical journey. That's interesting to hear that intersection of events, technology and social media. You, you know, you were groundbreaking kind of in 2004 and it's still incredibly relevant almost 20 years later. Um, which is so cool. Because yeah. they have a job. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> um, but Julius, if you had a piece of advice for event professionals right now, you know, in 2023, what would it be? Mm, interesting. Uh, there's so much going on, right? So I feel like the industry, it's, it's tough to realize how much has changed in the past two years by, you know, and this is not just the you know, stereotypical sort of post-pandemic, during pandemic, we all get that. Like the change is much more profound that, that we can imagine uh, with like complete generations reshuffled, like some people that left the industry for good, some people that entered the industry in a completely different environment. They started maybe during the pandemic. Um, and so what, what do you do today? Um, you try to make the most of what's happening right now. That's my advice. You try to, you maximize, you know, you're getting, I was, I'm actually back 
I was on site for a meeting um, here in Vegas with Sivan Connect, and they told me that they have 1,500 people registering at the desk. Like, you know, they showed up the day of the event out of 3,500. So it's almost like 50% of attendees showing up between like the, the previous two days and the day of the event. So that's unheard of. Like that's like, you know, you used to plan these events months in advance. So that's gone. And so how do you deal with that? You make the most out of it. You're as flexible as possible. You try to, you know, uh, understand where the pendulum is winging right now. It's in person. So make the most out of it and then be ready because it's probably not going to be like that forever. So, you know, keep an eye out and like try to be on top of everything that, that comes your way. I love that advice, the idea of making the most out of it. And I think, I actually think in my brain, at least I'm tying it together with our topic that we have today. I feel like it aligns because we're talking about, you know, not overcomplicating events. And one way to do that in in my mind, this is like oversimplifying, but is to simplify your event or at least simplify strategically, right? Like really do things that make impact. And so as we're thinking about that, um, and our topic today, we kind of wanted to break this conversation out into four sections. So the first one being content, the second one being partnerships, third logistics, and fourth teamwork. And oh. so we want to start with content and kind of focus in, on how we can try to not overcomplicate the content program piece of events, which is way easier said than done sometimes. But um, where would you like to start with this, Julius? Where would you say um, some event professionals typically overcomplicate their program content? Oh my God, so much to unpack. And, you know, I'm glad we start with content is obviously, you know, coming from a media perspective and content is my gist. Love it. You know, this is what I do. And, um, you know, we, we do consult on many, many clients just for content sort of uh, activations and on their programs as well as their wider content marketing initiatives. And so this is to say there's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. I'm creepy that way. I spend time thinking about these things, you know, while I'm, while I'm showering and thinking, like, well, what if we change that in the agenda? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, it's an interesting one because the, the first off, like, you know, I, I've never seen so much agreement in the events industry yet. The, the discrepancy in what we actually do, like whenever I say online, you know, I also made like an influencer type of picture with a with a poster up saying, you know, that cramming your event with like a thousand speakers and a you know, hundred tracks is not going to make it better. Right. So I literally went out with a sign and got someone to take a picture of me. Like I felt strongly about it. And um, yeah, everybody was like in the comments. Yeah, I agree with this so much. And it's like, yes. Let's do it. And then you go and look at, you know, content uh, programs for most events. It's like so much going on, um, too much, too much that we can process. And it's also like understanding how content has changed. I feel this is one of the most evident impacts of the pandemic specifically in terms of attention spans. I remember, you know, my first event, you know, after um, the pandemic in person, I was a large event industry conference and we were like in a dark room, um, you know, I mean, there was Usher was on stage, don't get me wrong, it was, I mean, but even Usher, like after 20 minutes, it was like, get me out of here, I can't deal with this, you know, it's too much, like take me out. And so, yeah, I feel nothing to do with the conference, of course, and the great people working at it. It's more like, okay, something has changed here. Like maybe we're not, you know, we're not, we can be in a room for like 
an hour listen to all this content and like all these things and also there's there's our digital personas that developed so much during the pandemic and all the online activities how do we you know how do we you know like we can disconnect for everything for like two three hours that's not gonna happen anymore yet those attention spans like that's gone in the past like we have to realize that it's kind of it so how do you adapt your content to be kind of like you know punchy media relevant you know attention spans keeping the attention on you know once you implement but taking a step back at agenda level how do you are you developing a narrative that it's kind of like you know driving people to through a journey um, and sort of showing them the different touch points of that journey and those become the session. And you're kind of like developing a story with your agenda. That's my ideal. That when I see a story in an event and like, you know, the session is like part of like a crescendo, if you pass me the term of like how they develop the audience in a sense, that's like kind of the um, nirvana of uh, programs. But like how many times do we see that? Very, very... Um, very rarely. Why? Because we have to accommodate people for play, sponsors, and like, you know, there's like a mental equation that as many speakers as we put, the better. And so the more speakers, the better. And so we are going to attract more people, more personas, and so forth. But like, that's that's solving for the wrong issue. I feel like there's a, there's a, a basic ignorance of, you know, the business model of events that's kind of, kind of, even before that, and sort of maximizing sort of the revenue of some of the events um, that we work on. Like we work with many clients sort of saying, okay, but like, let's take a step back. How do we maximize the revenue without starting adding more and more so that we, you know, think of like, you know, tech companies that, you know, think of Apple and how they take away features in most cases, right? Um, but like still keep a great experience. So, you know, um, that that is a conversation that needs to happen. It's so foundational to the events industry um, and probably going to take a long time. But hopefully the market, once this in-person frenzy is kind of gone, I think we're starting to see the, the first moments of that with um, sort of many in-person events. Great. So as a whole, the industry is doing fantastically well. But like, if you look deep dive in these events, the attendance is not super high in some cases. And so you're starting to see that our competition is having an impact and the offer is going to be too much. And then what's when, when you got to start thinking seriously about how you take on content. So take away, take away, make those things better because content essentially is your product. You can't overlook your product. You can like say, let's have a committee to look at the content. Like you have to control that 100%. That's where you need to spend most of the product development. As you have a product manager and product marketer, you need to have a content manager and content marketer for your event that handles that. Has the most precious thing is, you know, gate key kept and there's bound there's boundaries and there's like barriers to entry. So yeah, um, this is a very long sort of counterintuitive answer to what should be super short. I think it's really impactful, though, Julius, what you mentioned, because I know personal experience doing event production, sometimes clients want to know how they can save money. You know, they don't maybe it's not revenue generating, but they're trying to cut costs. And it's like cut a track. If you don't have simultaneous things happening at once, you know, that's that's one Xing every track. You're adding an X to what you're doing is, is you know, one way to think about it. Um, 
And then also, I know one of your points you made with content was also about adding virtual because there is that rebound to in-person. And I had one client who chose virtual and it gave them that flexibility to your point about being your advice to MVEP pros about being flexible because they essentially had more people to your example, I think from Connect, you mentioned the, the 1,500 people show up on site. They were able to use virtual as an overflow option. Yeah, so folks who couldn't fit in the room, they said, join us from your hotel room or the hallway or something. And they already had it set up. They weren't scrambling to do it. So I just think it's very, I want, I think people should be open-minded about some of the solutions to their problems versus necessarily adding. Like no, take away, take away. <laughs> and we, we will probably talk about that logistically as well. But like, I feel there's also on the other end of the spectrum, there's this obsession that we got to have virtual at all costs where nobody cares about virtual. So, you know, does it make sense for you and your business to have it? Great. Have it. You, are you committed to inclusion? Like, is your audience able to travel? Do they care about, you know, ask yourself these questions, answer these questions and then make decisions that make sense. Just not like, you know, put a track there virtually, it's like, you know, who's like, if nobody's interested in it, you're just complicating again in a massive way, because in a massive way, you know, implementing a hybrid event of sorts, it's a massive undertaking right now in terms of like the expectations of a virtual experience. Say you have like, you know, 250 people in, in person and you have 20 online, you know, think about this ratio. Those 20 people like expect a great experience. Like you're letting them down big time. So is it worth it for you? Um, so yeah, think about those things. I'm, I, I've been an advocate. I've worked for virtual event tech companies, but I've been the first to say, you know, when, you know, there's marketing jargon and marketing um, sort of uh, marketing commandments rather than thinking and strategy behind events. So I feel every event is different and every event has different capabilities. We do not have to think about hybrid all costs, virtual all costs, in-person all costs, in-person too. Yeah, I think that's key. It's It seems like, especially the last couple of years, there's been like a lot of passion behind the types of events that people prefer more than like one more than the other. And there's definitely like a strategy conversation there. Absolutely. So glad you pointed that out. And you started going to logistics. So let's just go into logistics now and talk a little bit more about that. Um, once again, we can take it wherever you want to go. But one point that you did make that I think is interesting um, in your LinkedIn post was about leaving AV to the last minute and then just using, you know, whatever the venue has. <laughs> and Logan and I feel this deeply. And so we can start there, start wherever, but talk to us more about logistics and some of the ways that event pros I mean, This is when that. the Better Events podcast becomes controversial. Um, so, <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, I feel AV is probably the most, like, Post-pandemic is one of the most important pieces of events for all the reasons that we mentioned. First off, like hybrid virtual implementations that seems to like there's different data about this. So I don't think there's there's certainty about it. I think that the research that is done in the industry is very, is very unfortunately, not because of lack of intention, but you know, the numbers are always super sketchy. There's no control group and they're all over the place. And so it's very difficult to you know, say conclusively how many events are using hybrid by default. Some research say 70%, but if I look at it, it doesn't feel like 70 to me. Um, but, you know, it's it's uh, interesting. But to say that the AV piece, it's one of the most important pieces that is going to come out. And so picking your AV part, why? Not just for that. I feel that the evolution of the business model of events is very content driven. And therefore, like, even if you're not doing anything, um, hybrid 
synchronous hybrid type of activation. You can do asynchronous hybrid type of, a, of activation, meaning you record all that content and you make it available to people later on, or you use it for marketing. And so that becomes a central piece in how we transition to communities, how to trans we transition events into something bigger than just one event, right? It's just been kind of the golden goose of what everybody wanted to do for years. Seems like now we have the tools to do it. So AV, very important. You go with the venue. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I don't hear great things about that. I hear about words like monopoly, that it's not super good, right? You know, that whenever I hear monopoly, I kind of like... Oh, don't like it. I don't want to, you know, and so what can you do? What can you do working with strategically with the best AV partner that is going to deliver on the experience? You choose it carefully because it's like consistently one of the highest um, um, budget items, isn't it? So, you know, the recent research from uh, North Star just said that, you know, again, AV is the most frustrating item for event planners in the budget. It's the one where they don't seem to move the needle. There's a strong sort of um, buyer, there's a sort of strong seller market for AV. Therefore, they they sort of holding the knife right now, and it's very difficult. Um, so, you know, that starts with the venue selection item, right? How good of a negotiator you are. I feel that becomes increasingly important these days because, like, if you want to book a venue in Vegas, good luck. Um, you know, it's it's we're looking at three years in right now, and you're going to be committed. Otherwise, it's, um, you know, there's nothing available, literally nothing. And so, you know, uh, making asks, uh, you know, it's it's more difficult. And so you have to think strategically also about your destination. I feel that's, that becomes important as well. How you streamline the experience. And sometimes you want to come to Vegas at all costs. I mean, you got to have a good reason to come to Vegas. You may have a good reason not to go to Vegas. I know some venues and some destinations are being impacted right now for different reasons, uh, safety, political, whatever. Uh, but there's there's other destinations that, you know, tier two that I feel there's a lot of opportunity right there. I'm keeping things simple. They're literally dying to get your business. They have like, you know, great service. So thinking I feel in a lean way about how you're going to go and implement depending on the audience that you have. Because if your audience wants to go to Vegas and Vegas is the only one that could cater for your event, I mean, it's no choice, right? You have one, one two choices. That's it. But like, if you can think, you know, outside of the box a little bit, you know, pushing the boundaries a little bit, I feel now is the time to do it, which means, again, not overcomplicating things because we have to be in Vegas at all costs. Oh, my God. The Las Vegas Convention Authority is going to hate me after this. But, like, you know, it's it's. I feel, you know, there's a bunch of opportunities. That trickles down to AV. Finding other AV partners in Tier 2 destinations is going to be easier. You're going to have more choice. You're going to have more leverage. And I feel it's about gaining your leverage logistically right now and thinking, how can I gain that leverage? How can I move so that I can influence the decision of my event so that I maximize the opportunity in terms of the experience that the attendees are going to get? I'm still going to hit my numbers and the sponsors are going to be happy. So this is like the magic triangle of which we got to work with. Um, so, yeah, I feel when you're, uh, when it all starts with, you know, a fixed idea in mind, this is when you start complicating stuff. Again, when you're going by, you know, you're not thinking laterally, you're just doing things because this is the way we do things. And this, there's a lot of that in our industry, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I feel then you're, you're kind of cornered into making decisions. And AV is one of the most 
important one that is going to have an impact for you. So think if you if you're able to save save hundreds of thousands of dollars out of AV, how are you going to spend that money? Not it's just you're going to save it and that's it. You're going to take it back. This is like more how can you reallocate it? Something that makes more sense for the experience and like uh, get people super excited and screaming about the content, the speakers, the venue, the um, the 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 place. I mean, because you have the, that opportunity here in America as well. You have some cities that seem like built for events, like Indianapolis. It's a great example of like I was a beacon there. Like it seems like it's built for an event. Like you you can walk around everywhere, and everything is in the vicinity of the convention center, and all the hotels are connected. So great, right? There's so many examples. Like Austin is a great example, but even though Austin is like tier one super busy right now so it's more complicated there um so yeah i hope this answers your question yeah and i think any any event professional is always happy to figure out how we can uncomplicate logistics because i feel like that is one that like you said it once that ball gets rolling it can get quickly out of control um but just kind of shifting a little bit to our next uh, bucket we had for Mm -hmm. how not to over complicate things but what would be your advice for event pros to avoid complicating their sponsorships and partnerships. We kind of talked about mm. revenue generation and mentioned them a little bit in content, but what would your yeah. advice be? So we're actually working with two clients at the moment on that specifically. And so, you know, one is a, it's a large event, first event of its kind. And, you know, we started with the, the sponsorship packages. And it's interesting, you know, we were brought in when they already created some sponsorship packages. And it was like, I mean, what is this? What what are we doing here? It's like, is this a book I need to read under, you know, the sun when I'm like getting tanned during summer? Like, what is it? Like, you know, 50 pages of prospectus. I mean, that's, but it's still like, you know, what a lot of people do. Like, again, there's all this tendency of like, we got to make you feel that we're giving you value by cramming this with so much information. This is like, it's so pervasive across the industry. We work with like, go to market and positioning with event technology companies, you go on their website, it's like a amount of data and like huge paragraphs. It's like, who's going to read this? Who's, who's the time to read this, all of this? Like when literally my attention span is like two seconds. So, you know, I'm looking for certain things as a sponsor, right? When I look at your prospectus. And so I'm looking at, you know, what's the price? What's the, what's the different levels? What am I getting at different levels? Right? That's that. That's that. I mean, I kind of have an idea in mind of what other events are doing. So you got a big, you're doing your own work and doing some benchmarking in terms of your competition, what they're offering. Then it's like, you know, about creating that, that, that twist. It's not like you have to be super dry and give them like, you know, a table. And that's that. I feel like, you know, you can connect with people. You have to show them the outcome. You have to show them what's what's in it. What is the end value for them? Are they going to be part of the community if they invest in your event? How are they going to be, you know, voicing some conversation? So there's a lot that can be done marketing-wise. Languages. We're talking about two, three statements with some nice pictures, not like writing your life and like what you did like 20 years ago and like giving, giving us all the overview of your career. You know, we're not interested in that. Like, you know, because at the end of the day, we're going to make quick decisions. And so I feel like streamlining sort of cutting, cutting, cutting um, as much as possible so that you're delivering that information that matters. And on the other end, they're making the decision. But also, uh, I think withholding information is just really important and powerful as well. I mean, obviously, you don't want to upset people, but also you don't want to give away the perspective so easily, you know, without qualifying people. So we work a lot on that as well. 
because like a lot of people, they just want to know. They're just curious. They just, you know, they just want to do the benchmarking we were talking about. So there's a lot of that happening. Um, so you got to be, I think you got to be careful. I think you waste a lot of opportunities if you just send a version of a prospect to say with, you know, all your prices, you ended the conversation very quickly, especially if you're selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to sponsorship. You know, it's tough to to put it out there, um, you know, and give it away. And people are going to say, oh, like, you know, I'm going to spend a million dollars looking at a, at a prospectus and making a decision immediately. That's not going to happen. That's not how you sell. And so thinking about the journey as well of selling these these perspectives, making it simple for people, yes, to get the information that they want, but then to connect with a human being because we're in the business of in-person. It's important to leverage that connection, you know, not be dry and not be non-personal. And so rethinking that strategy, making it as lean as possible, but also like not, not giving away too much, not, you know, um, making it too fast and too quick. And there's a lot of that. And like, we need to go out. We need to sell this. We send, send it. Give me a copy. Let's send it. I've had so many. I was like, no, don't. No, I'm not going to give you a copy. No, that's, that's that. You tell me first who I'm sending it to and if it makes sense. And so, yeah, again, it's about simplifying, not, you know, sending mass emails, um, you know, thinking, crafting the, the message, spending the time. This is why ChatGPT is so popular in the events industry because it's like, it's like, yeah, give me the answer and let's go out. Write the session for my event and we're done. So you're delegating the most important bits of your events, your product to an artificial intelligence without, I mean, don't get me wrong, great for ideation, great for all of that. But like, you know, people are like going to want more than that. Um, so let's, let's be realistic. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you're bringing these business principles into events, like which makes perfect sense, but it's also not something that I hear people talk about like extremely often, like the idea of um, lean and things like that. So I love it. Um, we have one more topic, our content bucket our to go into, and it's about leadership and teamwork. And so people are interesting, right? Working with people is interesting. So what would you say here? Where do you see event pros overcomplicating their teamwork? So listen, you know, Event planners specifically are my people. I like, I love them to death. Like, and you know, I, I realistically, I don't plan events. So I have been advising event planners on how to do their events for forever. And even my clients today, they're like very successful event teams. They, you know, they know everything and anything. Like literally, they've been in the industry for 20 years plus. They know everything that needs to be done. They, they get into the action so much that sometimes you have to drag them back a little bit. And like, you know, I, I act as a pause for all of these people. They are so action driven. And so, you know, don't get me wrong. I love that. I don't think, you know, you're able to pull experiences like this without that, that attitude. But if I have to look at the best performing um, sort of uh, event professionals that I've met through my career, you know, the ones that have teams of hundreds of people um, that work for them, um, and do incredibly complex events. Um, so what I'm scared of when I see things that don't start to work, when there's too much of a teamwork attitude, because in the events industry, it's great to have a team that knows what they're doing. But when it becomes sort of a committee and we have to make decisions together, that's when I see things stop. 
it's, it's not judgment. It's just observation of what I've seen again and again. And unfortunately, like, you know, I see the top event planners. Yeah, they hear what the team has to say at all times, especially if they work together. They trust their opinion so much, but then they make a decision. And, you know, the lack of that decision is what prevents many events from growing. I've worked with CEOs of large events that have the potential to double their events, but like they're so team prone that they don't get anything done. Any of the beautiful thing they think about, they don't do it. And unfortunately, they're always stuck at that level and they reach the maximum capacity of what they can do. So if we're talking about going more and simplifying, simplifying means, okay, I hear you, I hear your feedback, but I'm the boss, I'm making the decision and we're moving with this. And then I'm gonna be wrong and fine, you know, we'll learn, but like, I'm the boss for a reason. I'm the event manager for a reason. I'm the head of events for a reason. And you can see, you know, this is not about imposing and being, you know, um, obnoxious with people. It's about being direct and knowing what, what needs to happen. So I feel teamwork is amazing and needs to happen. People need to be responsible. People need to own pieces. All the events teams that I know, you know that person owns that. And, you know, they move independently, but the boss makes the decision, the big decisions that matter. And so that dynamic is very, very difficult to find. You'd be amazed on how many people like there's always, oh, yeah, let me bring 55 people in this call and let's make a decision together. That's not going to happen. That's not going to go anywhere. It, it's sad to hear the lack of you could miss out on growth for that, because I do think some people think the more people who pitch in, the better. But sometimes you do just have to make a decision and then learn from that and figure out if it was the right or the wrong one. Um, it is well, not judgmental. It's it's also like, you know, I feel some leaders have a path as well. And this is part of their path and realizing that, you know, they can grow as a consultant. I try to point it out to them, but I also respect their path. And sometimes I take a step back and I said, you know, this is your process. I respect that. I'll talk to the 555 people. But then you'll see that the result is actually going to be the same. We're not going to move the needle, unfortunately, because, you know, that's so much we can do if you don't make a decision. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I feel like a lot of event planners, you said we're very to-do oriented, but we can also be very deadline oriented where it's like, this is the deadline. It's not a fake deadline. It's a real mm-hmm. deadline. <laughs> There's X dollars on the line if we don't make a decision by today. Um, well, Julius, I feel like we could keep talking to you for, you know, on and on, but um, just before, as we get ready to wrap up our interview with you, is there anything else you want to add for folks about how they can avoid overcomplicating their events? No, I mean, it's it's as simple as keeping things simple and literally like embracing it, um, you know, cut. When you're not sure, take it off. You know, that's gut feeling. Uh, most of us, you know, we've been talking about so many aspects. It's like the, you have that gut feeling that this is not going to move the needle for anybody. So cut it, cut it out. If it's like you're unsure about it, you know, just get rid of it. You know, and that that keep the core things that you know work and do more of that. That's what you do need to do more of the things that are working. That speaker that is delivering, get a hundred more like them. You know, don't try to get all the beautiful keynotes and whatever. Get more of those. You know, that marketing channel that is working for you, do more of that. Don't be on all marketing channels. So that's my message. Keep it simple. I love it. That's a great simple way to end it so thank you so much for all of that um before we do end with you though we'd like to ask where can listeners find you if they want to follow along on your journey yeah julius solaris on linkedin to julius everywhere else twitter 
threads, Instagram, whatever. I'm I'm on it. Um, so, but yeah, LinkedIn is my main hub. So connect there. And uh, if you want to get access to our events, our research, insights.ballpush.com, that's where you can get access to a lot of the stuff that we do. Amazing. Thank you so much, Julius. And we'll have all those links in the show notes for you listeners. Uh, Julius, we just appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I think that brings us to our bonus tip, which Mary, you have our bonus tip this week. I do have the bonus tip this week. So as you know, these bonus tips can sometimes be different or not topic related. But today, we just kind of wanted to call out the importance of continuing education. So we don't all know everything, regardless of your experience in the industry. There's always room to grow and to learn. And a great way um, to do that is by learning from each other. And so we would like to invite you listeners to the first ever Better Events Conference, which is coming this winter date to be determined. Um, but we are going to have facilitated conversations that involve you. So we want to make sure that we see you there. We're not going to be talking at you. It's not going to be that kind of conference. Um, but we're super excited. So if you're interested in either attending, sponsoring, or speaking, please register your interest at the link in the show notes, which is on our website. Um, and it's one of the tabs for the conference. But that brings us to the end of our episode. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Better Events Pod. You can send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com or visit our website at bettereventspod.com. And as always, you can connect with Mary and I directly on LinkedIn. We love connecting with you guys each week, so keep those coming. And as always, we thank you for listening, and we'll be back in your feeds again next Wednesday. 